Welcome again to New Covenant Conversations. I'm your host, Gary Elliott. I'm joined by my son, Stuart, as we continue our discussion here in Season 2 about the Holy Trinity and Covenant Theology. Uh, We've worked through uh, the apology, or what we refer to as the the reason defense for why we think these conversations are valuable. And we are working off of a document uh, that's a position paper that can be found on the website, uh, ncconvo.com. Portions of that uh, position paper are being posted as we go through the discussion. So if you'd like to read more uh, and have the text before you, you can go there. But we're now uh, continuing in episode three as we come to the overview. Uh, It's a very densely packed uh, series of main statements and points that are going to be unpacked through um, through the text and through the conversations uh, to come in this season two. Uh, Stuart, you there? I sure am. Yep. And uh, even though our uh, our connection across 2000 miles might uh, <laughs> be a little weak at times, we're going to power through and and um, and talk about uh, a few statements here from the abstract of your position paper. So let's uh, let's jump right in if, uh, okay. if you don't mind, unless you have any more intro statements to make. No, no, I'm ready to go. I, I will say this. We're going to divide the abstract into two parts. There's like 10 main uh, points uh, or, or headings. These actually show up in the text of the, uh, the position paper itself. But here they are distilled into an abstract and giving an overview. I think these are attention-getting. Um, let me also say that depending on the level of familiarity that uh, listeners might have with the discussion over uh, covenant theology and the Holy Trinity, um, I think, hopefully, we'll be able to discuss and explain these things that if you don't have the background or don't know about some of the intramural disputes, uh, and and let me also say this, the intention here is not to be controversial. Uh, We're not trying to capitalize on disputes. We're trying to clarify what we think is um, a good, biblically defensible, and clear formulation of covenant theology in relationship to the Holy Trinity. So we're going to address hopefully the first five of these main points in part one, and then we'll come back in episode four and pick up with the remaining five uh, as we deal with the overview of this position paper of the Holy Trinity and Covenant Theology. So starting with number one, uh, this is the statement, starting with the orthodox doctrine of the Holy Trinity, acknowledging the imminent otherness of the uncreated creator's godness, it is doctrinally essential to maintain that as the Holy Trinity exists apart from time and space creation, but interacts within each dimension, so also does the Holy Trinity exist apart from the covenant, but interacts with and through the scripturally revealed covenantal pattern and practice of divine origin and design. So that's a mouthful. Yeah, there's a lot there. So um, boil down what... Um, what distinction or what connection you're actually making there? Because I actually think it's a it's a really helpful example of of what um, what we can do when we're using categories of covenant and talking about God's um, you know God's being and also God's work or His mission and His processions or however you want to put that. Boil that down for us if you can. Well, the point here is that we have a a recognition that God exists in His being and otherness mm-hmm. in his godness. Yeah. He is uncreated. He exists apart from what he has created. Uh, not everything is revealed to us 
about who God is and what God does. There are secret things that belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's temp- tempting to go down another path there, but I won't. Um, <laughs> and so when we say that God is interactive with His the world of his creation, and that's a huge point for Reformed mm-hmm. and Evangelical Christianity, that God is personal and God is mm-hmm. active in the world of his creation. Yeah. Um, he's not just an observer right. or he's not, you know, hands off as it mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And so what we're saying is we, we acknowledge that we acknowledge that God, the Holy Trinity is other mm-hmm. and is also involved. He's imminent and he's also transcendent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we want to simply say, okay, let's recognize that and see in reference to covenant, that same reality that God exists apart from covenant. It's not of the essence of his nature. Mm-hmm. But God chooses to act through covenant that is yeah. revealed to us in Scripture. Right. I think that's probably boiling it down as simply as I can. Okay, so um, would it be uh, true and accurate to say that just as God is a creator, being a creator is not essential to his being? God did not have to create. And so just just as um, God is that, and that's logically true and consistent— um, God can also work within the context of covenant, but it doesn't mean that essentially he is covenantal I mean, in his essence. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's a big point. I mean, it may become more apparent as we get into the details of why it would be uh, unhelpful mm-hmm. to talk about God being essentially covenantal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because that gets into some unintentional, uh, I think some unintended consequences related to the, uh, Orthodox doctrine of the Holy Trinity, mm. uh, as we relate and talk about God's aseity or His independence yeah. and freedom, as we yeah. talk about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the equal ultimacy uh, of the unity of the Trinity, and not that question of subordination and relationship, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and those are very important uh, questions. Apart from the study of the covenant, as you know, Stuart, uh, there have been attempts to um, reformulate the doctrine of the Trinity. Right, and there have been questions like uh, eternal subordination of the Son, or mm-hmm. uh, more uh, social mm-hmm. uh, applications of the Trinity uh, that impact and touch on these what we call orthodox doctrines of the yeah. Holy Trinity. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think that's a helpful example and connection to make um, as well, because I think um, a lot of folks can um, can understand, uh, especially if 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 you want to. Uh, if you care about some of the historic formulations of of Orthodox Trinitarianism, um, you take very seriously not confusing the creator and the creation. And you take very seriously, you know, giving space for God to be God in himself and not not mm-hmm. to need to create, um, mm-hmm. not to, not for that to be essential to his to to who he is. Um and there's that, not some deficiency big, in God. Exactly. Yeah, that's a big has a big practical payoff, um, mm-hmm. especially as you, we start to think about redemption and um, and God's sovereignty and all all of those things. Um, uh, God is powerful and sovereign to accomplish His means. He's not dependent on His creation to accomplish His ends. Mm-hmm. Um, it also so, it does not detract from God's love. No, not at I all. I think sometimes this is driving a misunderstanding of the social nature of love. And we think, yeah. well, if, if we understand love humanly, then we must sort of uh, put that yeah. into perspective with God in yeah. just a bigger way. 
God is loving like us, but in a bigger way. But that's not what Scripture reveals. And it really, I think, helps to clarify and reformulate our, and maybe purify, our understanding of love. Mm. And so in no way, as we acknowledge God's aseity, His independence, His freedom, His otherness, his secretness, there is in, in none of that, there's anything that detracts from God being the God of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think here, like you said, we might need to um, restrain ourselves from going down a, a, another <laughs> yeah, rabbit trail. But um, <laughs> too many good things to talk about. <laughs> I, yes, yes, there is, but it brings up so many, so many things. I think we always want to say that, that whatever accommodations we use to talk about God, um, we have to allow the categories that we use to to be something distinct when we're using them in reference to God. Mm-hmm. So like his fatherness. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, that's a familiar category, obviously, because we know what fathers are, but God is a father in a way that is not like you're my father. That's <laughs> you right, in a, um, in, a unique, in a unique way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And he, he informs and defines for us much about fatherness. And he doesn't share his fatherness yes, yeah. with the Son or with the Holy Spirit. So here we get into right. those uh, intertrinitarian mm-hmm. uh, relationships yeah. and uh, the discrete persons of the Holy Trinity. And I think those are really important categories to maintain and to guide us as we talk about particularly uh, how it relates to covenant and God's covenantal works. Yeah, yeah. So we don't want to unwittingly back into a compromise yeah. that would diminish or that would um, dishonor who God is in his otherness. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's something, it seems like that point kind of comes up over and over again um, in, in all of our conversations, but it's just, I think it's just really important to hammer in um, yeah. and, and keep in mind. So um, is there a more with that statement that you'd like to tease out or should we move to the next one? Well, hopefully we've uh, um, got the attention a little bit with that statement, and we will remember come back to the text of the mm-hmm. um, position paper, and it will have a that that text and our discussions over that will have a lot more information. We will talk about some of the historic and orthodox categories. We'll try to define and make that clear to everybody. Uh, we'll of course be using references and acknowledging other historic theological formulations and and theologians. So there's a whole lot more to come Mm -hmm. and that will elaborate on these uh, succinct packed points that we're talking about today. Yep. So we can go into the second one then. And the second statement is the relationship of the Holy Trinity to covenant theology is a deep and challenging study. And like the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is sourced from the analogies of scripture. The study of the Trinity's connection to covenant or covenantal theology gives preeminence to Jesus Christ being the perfect revealer of God the Heavenly Father as uncreated creator and savior, acknowledging the uniquely uncreated essence, the godness of the Holy Trinity. Nothing should be introduced or read back into the intra-Trinitarian council that would contradict the divine non-communicable attributes of that godness. So there again, a very densely packed statement. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say that these statements are progressive. There is a development from uh, statement one to statement two to statement three. So there is a growing uh, focus that uh, these um, statements have 
in terms of the development of this discussion over mm. the Holy Trinity and covenant theology. So, Dad, first, um, so that that term analogies of Scripture, that's actually kind of a more uh, technical term. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps you'll 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 come across it in um, you know if you if you're reading theologies and whatnot, you'll hear that that phrase, the analogy of Scripture. So, what what does that mean when we when we use that mm-hmm. in, in reference to theology? Well, Scripture reveals to us, in this case, uh, the things about God, and often it uses uh, categories that we can connect to. Uh, and, and so we talk about, for example, pronouns, names of God, pronouns that are used. Uh, we see various themes, like, for example, the themes of God as Creator or God mm-hmm. as Savior. And so those analogies, the uh, analogy of reason and faith, uh, are given to us through Scripture. And of course, what we say is that these are not exhaustive of who God is. Um, sometimes they are analogical to reveal to us um, aspects of God that we couldn't know. Mm-hmm. Now, Scripture says that by creation itself, there is a, a powerful uh, truth and a, a conscientious acknowledgement within the human soul that God is creator. But then Scripture goes on to reveal the way of God's uh, Savior, being Savior. And that, that's sometimes we refer to the uh, general and special revelation in those ways. But the fact that um, God must condescend because of the, the distance between God as uncreated creator and created image bearers, God, when we say must, by the necessity of the difference in being in existence, mm-hmm. God must condescend. God must voluntarily come down to the level of accommodating human ability to understand and to know him. And God does this. He is a knowable God. But our knowing of God is not exhaustive of who God is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that help what we're talking about as far as analogies of Scripture go? Names of God, uh, pronouns that are used, uh, mm-hmm. descriptions, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes human attributes that are used to represent God, like his arm is not shortened that he cannot save, or the eye of the Lord goes to mm-hmm. and fro. Mm-hmm. All things are naked and open to the eyes of of God with whom we have to do. I mean, some of those are examples, I guess. Uh, you might have some other ones yeah. that would be helpful. No, those are all great. And, and I mean, there are some, I mean, even when we speak of, you know, father and son and spirit, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. but, uh, I think recognizing, we talking about the analogy of scripture, um, a lot of that hinges on your doctrine of scripture mm-hmm. and, um, and what you, what you believe scripture to be. Is it the inspired word of God? Is it inspired by the Holy spirit? Um, and do we have access and the ability to understand these things? you know, through the, the work of, of the spirit to reveal and to, um, uh, to bring knowledge of these things. Um, and so, you know, even those analogies, um, we use scripture, all of scripture to help us understand what to do with, with particular phrases that we come across in the Bible. Some of those can be more tricky than others, but the analogy of scripture basically tells us interpret scripture with scripture, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. use the Bible, use all of the Bible. If it's one, if it has one ultimate author, which is God, the Holy spirit, um, then he doesn't, he clarifies himself. In other words, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean everything in the scripture is alike clear unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it does mean that um, we can um, use other places in scripture to kind of help us um, uh 
clarify and gain more understanding and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, and there are tricky places, um, yeah. uh, that, uh, that are just harder. So like one of the big ones would be, uh, you know, when God repents, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, but also we, we, scripture tells us that in God, there's no shadow of turning, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no change mm-hmm. in God. So how do we reconcile these two? Well, we use scripture to help us clarify right. and interpret, mm-hmm. um, those things. And, and, um, that's an important interpretive principle, I guess you'd say. Yeah. I take a lot of consolation that Peter wrote and said, our brother Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's true. And yet also, as we study scripture, I mean, scripture does become a lexicon unto itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that we don't value the historic study, the historical gram- grammatical study of the languages mm-hmm. uh, of Old Testament and New Testament and and scholars that have worked, uh, faithful scholars that have been diligent, translators, you know, and, and we appreciate that work. And we recognize that scripture does interpret scripture as deep and as um, uh, extensive sometimes as that is. Also, we find in Scripture that there are words and concepts, themes and ideas that are self-revealed. One of the ones I like to use is that the Apostle Paul takes and redeems the word agape. In in Greek, uh, in Roman culture, Mm. agape had just become kind of a vanilla word, sort of like we use today. Oh, Mm. I love my dog. You know, I love ice cream. Uh, I love my children. Mm. I love my wife. I love my husband. Mm. We just lump it all together. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the Apostle Paul takes and redeems that vanilla word mm. in connection with the uh, salvation that was accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that becomes the supreme self-giving, sacrificing, transforming love mm. that is identified with uh, the Lord Jesus and his That's accomplishment, cool. you know. Yep. Um, and there are other, I mean, the Apostle Paul invents some words, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that are theological. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, the Old Testament, we have concepts, themes, and words that are elaborated for us. I mean, the names of God are so rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, what we're talking about in, in reference to the analogy of Scripture. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. So let's continue on there with that. And statement. so the main point that we were saying about number two here is that we we want to guard uh, reading back into mm-hmm. the doctrine of the Holy Trinity anything that would compromise uh, anything that would not be fitting to that essential divine nature. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is that from the revealed pattern and practice of covenant, from the elements that are repeated and identifiable in the covenantal order of God's works, they don't they do not um, properly fit into God's essential nature. And and the big one there would be subordination. Yeah. But there are others, other aspects as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's also another statement here. um, The study of the Trinity's connection to covenantal theology gives preeminence to Jesus Christ being the perfect revealer of God the Father as uncreated creator and Savior. So can you elaborate on that in relation to what we've talked about on that point? This is the new covenant in my blood. Mm. (laughs) Jesus has the preeminence. Mm. Uh, He is the fulfillment of God's covenantal promise, of God's condescension. And when we talk about that sort of abstract notion that um, we could only have any fruition of God as our blessedness and reward by some some voluntary condescension on God's part, Mm -hmm. that is... Um, ultimately 
demonstrated to us through the incarnation, the resurrection, and the glorification of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reveals the Father to us. No man has seen God at any time. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the only the only begotten who's in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known, you know? And so that's very rich. Uh, actually, we will uh, connect with that a little bit even pre-fall in the original covenant with Adam. We talk about mm-hmm. how did uh, Adam know God? And, well, I don't want to jump mm-hmm. ahead, but we'll get into some discussions about how the agency of the Son uh, is the revealer, the perfect revealer. No man, mm-hmm. Adam included, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the focus of covenant theology and I was being very sincere when I said that, when Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, mm-hmm. uh, that is the ultimate uh, revelation of the covenant mm-hmm. uh, is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. Very good. All right. Any more we want to add there to that statement? We're going to let it stand as it is. Yeah, I guess we should go on to number three because I know okay. we're <laughs> working through this. I'm not even sure yeah. how much time we've used up so far. So the third statement is the many attempts to define the term covenant miss the main point that the scripturally revealed divine covenantal pattern and practice is both a structure of continuity with changing content. Therefore, the biblical theological use of the term should stand apart as covenant informed by scripture content and not pressed into a mold of extra-biblical sources. So when we talk about covenant, we should talk about covenant with Abraham, new okay. covenant, everlasting covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a really big uh, firecracker right there. Yeah, so now, <laughs> now you're getting a little more, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little more critical. The, yeah, into the disputes. <laughs> there, right. there we go. Yeah. And, and this, is, this really is at the very heart of the thesis, and that is the term covenant is defined for us in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I have talked in previous podcasts about the attempt to define covenant. And everybody who writes on covenant comes up with their own definition of covenant. Right. You know? uh, there's a lot of draw on extra biblical sources being read back into. And um, I find some problems with that myself. I'm just not satisfied with that. And so we have it revealed to us in Scripture a pattern and a practice that God has made known. It's it's identifiable. Mm-hmm. It's repeated. It has essential elements that we've talked about. This makes a covenant. Every promise is not a covenant. Every oath is not a covenant. You know, there are false mm-hmm. covenants. There are counterfeit covenants. There are false mm-hmm. oaths. There are human covenants <laughs> that are not divine mm-hmm. covenants. All of the all of that mm-hmm. is demonstrated to us in Scripture. We have illustrations of every one of those things that I just said, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that more in time to come. So the argument here is that. The Bible defines covenant for us. <laughs> let's look at that and let's be consistent with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not wooden. I'm not saying that this term covenant is just a, a block of wood, but I'm saying we do have the context of Scripture and we do have the um, elements and the details that are identifiable so that we can talk about a divine biblical covenant with uh, certainty. Mm-hmm. So um, we've talked a bit before a little bit <clears throat> about, um, in, you know, it approaches to, uh, to Scripture, to, one of them being sort of a biblical theological approach and one of them being a systematic approach. And um, 
I think we talked about that uh, last season. We were talking about uh, hermeneutics and and um, and whatnot. And um, sometimes, uh, you know, you'll 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 kind of get a, a a flavor or a shade of um, of a theologian that that they they tend maybe towards one or the other as more mm-hmm. helpful or beneficial. And mm-hmm. sort of where I've landed is, is that there, there are actually two approaches that are both essential to each other and, and really helpful um, to understanding scripture and developing categories. Uh, well, mm-hmm. and so um, as I've been thinking about this <clears throat> and um, I think I was listening to something the other day that kind of brought up this, this idea that, <clears throat> you know, it might be possible to um, to have a biblical theological approach to covenant <clears throat> that's going to develop covenant through the unfolding covenants in scripture, um, and so you're going to look at the successive covenants, um, you know, covenant with uh, with Abraham, covenant uh, covenant with Noah, covenant with Moses and Israel, covenant uh, with David, new covenant. You're going to look at those in a biblical theological way because that's how they unfold plainly in scripture, um, but then. Perhaps another legitimate way to do it um, is to look at it in a systematic theological way. And that's where you might, you know, introduce systematic categories of, say, um, you know, covenant of works, um, because that's not a, you know, that's not a clear term that that comes up in scripture. But uh, but you might use systematic categories to help defend that covenant. Um, And then covenant redemption would also fall into that um, as well. So is that a legitimate way to to kind of um to approach covenant and defining covenant even um if you if you say you know we can look at a biblical theological way and then we could also look at it in a systematic way yeah i'm very much in agreement with you i think they're handmaidens i, I think systematic theology is the older sister and uh, biblical theology is the younger sister but they are not and shouldn't be pitted against one another mm-hmm. um i i think that uh, for example, what we're talking about right now in terms of the uh, Orthodox doctrine of the Holy Trinity would be more leaning toward uh, systematic theological categories and mm-hmm. development. And then we're bringing that to bear on the question of biblical covenants and the outworking and revelation of God's works through covenant. And we will actually get into those successive historically and scripturally revealed covenantal progression mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. as we go along and and i i just see them both you know mutually beneficial mm-hmm. uh i mm-hmm. think that if i can give an example uh that's not too self-serving i think this the discussions you and i are having about the orthodox doctrine of the holy trinity maintaining the uh, uh parameters and the balance and the guardrails that you've talked about before um within this discussion of covenantal th- uh, theology is a wonderful example mm-hmm. of where we're going to be very careful. We're going to take these um, doctrines and, and categories of uh, orthodox, historic, Trinitarian theology, and we're going to carefully examine and evaluate uh, covenantal theology and particularly biblically revealed. What we're talking about is the term covenant itself. And that, in my opinion... Mm-hmm. You don't just come up with a uh, with a definition, and you don't let extra biblical sources mold your definition mm-hmm. of covenant. You look into the scripture, you see, and as we go along, I'm going to argue 
that there is an identifiable and repeated pattern of elements that make up a biblical divine covenant. And so, in my opinion, uh, both systematic and biblical theology are beautifully um, uh, applied to this most significant question mm-hmm. of uh, the Holy Trinity and uh, covenant theology. Okay. All right. Should we? Uh, is there more that we need to tease out there on that one? Uh, well, uh, hopefully, as we get into some of the things you've mentioned, we'll get really into the details uh, of uh, how do we understand, how do we uh, identify. When I when I say that it's identifiable and repeatable, what what is that that identified and repeated pattern? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll get into those details uh, sure. as we you know go into the historic okay. development of the covenants as well. Okay. And in, in previous podcasts, we've talked about that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so uh, everything that we have said up to this point is building mm-hmm. on what we're going to do. when We get into the real details yeah. uh, of, of uh, biblical covenantal yeah. uh, uh, revelation. Okay. So number four in our summary here, uh, Throughout much of the history of covenant theological studies, the assumption and sometimes dogma is that the intra-Trinitarian council is essentially covenantal. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do not essentially relate to one another within the intra-Trinitarian council by the scripturally revealed covenantal pattern in practice. Concerning the intra-Trinitarian council, there is a mutual resolve of equal ultimacy without necessity, redundancy, or subordination theologically classified as the decrees of God. Now, once again, I'll say that this these statements are building. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, they're, while they're, they can be talked about separately, I hope that it seemed like a chain that they mm-hmm. are linked together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. the fourth in our um, big, heavy mm-hmm. <laughs> anchors that we're dropping <laughs> on this mm-hmm. study. So uh, so the, the kind of the essential point here is, is that and this is kind of brings in the, the historical development of this doctrine. And we've talked about how, you know, doctrine develops historically, particularly in response to maybe certain challenges that the church is facing. It's 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 in need of developing those doctrines so it can clarify what its teaching is going to be and what it believes scripture teaches, um, those kinds of things. Um, and that's true of this idea of covenant theology. And we definitely see um a development of uh of covenantal doctrine um in in the history of the church um and it's you know like like any doctrine it's kind of uh if you look at its history of development it it it's a bumpy road sometimes <laughs> you yeah. know it's not it's not always smooth sailing mm-hmm. um but interestingly and i don't know if we'll get into this in a future discussion the covenant of redemption um idea did seem to have quite a bit of currency quickly and early mm-hmm. on after it developed in mm-hmm. the history of, of of the development of covenant theology yeah well, um, the term was kind of coined right yeah. and it took up and and it it served a great purpose um but it was not well defined it was somewhat general mm-hmm. yeah but uh, but readily accepted it, it seems would that be latter- accurate to say yeah no i think that's right i mean from everything i've read that it was uh yeah. just sort of immediately latched onto Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was not until later, you know, uh, 
in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century that it sort of had a resurgence. Mm-hmm. And that's where some of, in my opinion, some of the dispute begins to uh, take shape. Yeah. Uh, when there were, you know, Orthodox, sound, reformed, mainly Dutch theologians who, in my opinion, overstated the case. Okay. Uh, in saying, and we'll have examples of this when we get into the details, but uh, we're saying that a covenant is of the essence of God's mm-hmm. nature. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of redefining covenant, like we we're talking about, uh, it becomes very uh, imprecise and semantically uh, sort of changing the idea of covenant to friendship or relationship. Um, and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we, we will talk about where those yeah. statements and those particular uh, attempts, I think, were... Uh, a misstep. Okay. And uh, that's why we're saying that as we look at the biblically identified pattern and practice of covenant and the many attempts to define the term covenant, I think create too much fog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's look at more precisely what the scripture says about covenant. Mm -hmm. As we see it, you know, as I've said, a pattern that is repeated and a practice that God identifies and um, it is related to the works of God, not to the essence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not located within the Trinitarian council of God's decrees. Covenant yeah. is not an attribute of God. Covenant is not a decree of God. Covenant is a mechanism of God's works. Mm-hmm. If I can say mechanism, I don't mean that in a machine way. I just mean it's the, it's the method. It's the methodology that God has uh, mm-hmm. chosen to use yeah. uh, as a means of yeah, condescension. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're familiar with those, with those ideas. I mean, we want to understand that God has means to accomplish his purpose as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that it's detached from, from him, from his concern, from his care, from his love or anything like yeah, from that. From all of his attributes. That's right. I mean, you know, how, here's an attribute of God, love, trustworthiness, <laughs> uh, faithfulness, mm-hmm. God reveals those things and brings them to us in a very meaningful way mm-hmm. through covenant relationship. Yeah. So we can say that uh, of God's essence and, and attribute, God is love, mm-hmm. but God is not covenant. <laughs> right. Yeah. But God can, reveals his covenant. God covenants yeah. with us out of yeah. his love. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a helpful, that's a helpful way of putting it. Um, you know, God is, is free to express his love in the ways that he sees fit. I mean, I, clearly he's the most, uh, knowledgeable and wise and, and the one that understands how it is best to express his own yeah. love. Um, and so our, our, our part is to trust in the means that he provides and then, but not to conflate the two. I think, um, one of the most wonderful and, and I will say this grounding statements about covenant comes out of the Westminster confession, uh, which is really at the foundation of probably everything I'm saying about covenant. And that is that the a distance between God mm-hmm. and the creature is so great that we could have no fruition of God as our blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's mm-hmm. part, which mm-hmm. he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. Mm-hmm. So covenant is the most adequate or, or condescension is the most adequate description of what covenant is about. Mm-hmm. God's loving condescension to make himself known to us as creator and savior. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big one that we're gonna have to 
um, unpack. So, I mean, we will, we will unpack all of these, but that's a pretty big one. It's a big claim. Um, it's challenging some of the history, um, not, not the, not the history, but it's just challenging some of the things historically that have developed, recognizing right. that, that these some are of the there. lines, you know, some yeah. of the lines that have been followed, uh, yeah. and I think, uh, go too far yeah. and are, and in, in reflection are not really helpful. Yeah. And we need yeah. to reel that back in, I think. Yeah. Uh, I would say just to emphasize this this point as well concerning the Inter-Trinitarian Council. Now, when we talk about the Inter-Trinitarian Council, we're talking about uh, those um, agreements and communications between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, typically, we refer to this as ad intra decrees, the Council of the Decrees of God. Uh, decree in that it's comprehensive, decrees in that we break it out into uh, distinguishable uh, mm-hmm. uh, categories like mm-hmm. uh, creation, providence, predestination, and election, typically mm-hmm. and historically in Reformed mm-hmm. theology. And so what what we're saying is that in that relationship, in the ad intra council of God, uh, there is a mutual resolve of equal ultimacy mm-hmm. without necessity. When we talked about God's freedom, he's not the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's not necessary mm-hmm. that he do this. He, he's not deficient in himself. Uh, in terms of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this needed to be done. There is not redundancy. The Holy Spirit and the, the Son are not just rubber stamping something the Father has you know, decreed. There mm-hmm. is an involvement and a, a, and a mutual uh, resolve <laughs> between the, the three persons of the Holy Trinity uh, that is, um, uh, let's see, uh, well, I lost my place there. Uh Without, uh, well, without necessity, without redundancy, or subordination—that's where there you I'm, go. We'd yeah. already we'd already mentioned that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I do think that's um, that's getting back at that um, uh, orthodox um, those yes. categories, those sure. systematic categories. Yeah, mm-hmm. foundations. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and this is you know one of those good helpful places where we recognize that we're trying to bring together and allow uh, systematic and biblical theology to work together where we're right. we're leaning heavily on some um, time-tested and accepted systematic categories regarding the mm. Trinity and who God is and who's revealed himself to be right. um, and attempting to bring our uh, development of covenant theology in, in line to make sure that's in line with that. Um, and all of those things, um, and I think we've talked about this um, it's going to m- probably be necessary for us to have a conversation just on Trinitarian uh, yes. theology. <laughs> yeah, no, I think and, so. Um, uh-huh. And 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 just unpack um, so that and you know, depending on how familiar familiar people are with this conversation and and um, and some of the other conversations that are going around even today, even even currently, um, there have been challenges. Um, that have been brought uh, recently to our our understand our classic or understanding of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and so this is actually a pretty big conversation going on mm-hmm. right now, and um, and uh, it'll be really helpful, I think, to um, to set down some groundwork there um, and defend some of these statements when we say that you know when 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 Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit um, agree to to an act and to work, um, they're not being redundant with each other. Well, why is that even necessary to, mm-hmm. to talk about? 
You know, well, it gets at right. something that tries to preserve the essential character of one mm-hmm. God, three persons and mm-hmm. one will. And we don't have three different gods with three different right. wills, you know, that's right. Those yeah. kinds of things. So all of these statements try to get at something that's trying to preserve our, our, our classic Orthodox. And of course we would say biblical understanding of mm-hmm. who God has revealed himself to be. How can we be most biblically consistent? Yeah. And, and we don't jettison what has uh, been handed down to us. You know, as Jesus said, the, the housekeeper, the, the mm-hmm. master of the house who brings out of his treasure things old and new. And yeah. so we are trying to maintain that balance. And uh, also along the lines of what you were saying, this is not um, just arid academic disputation. We're not intellectualizing here. We're not uh, trying to get some kind of one-up gamemanship by uh, trying to divide and dispute and um, multiply controversies. We want to we want to hold to that which is good, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we want to guard against that which is um, even unwittingly uh, of of concern and, and eroding. Mm-hmm. of uh, the foundations that God has given us. Right. Um, and, and so we must be vigilant and always on our guard and circumspect and always testing with Scripture, you know? So this is not simply an exercise in, oh, we want to go back and what a, a bunch of uh, old people in the past have said, mm-hmm. you know, as they got around and disputed in Latin or in Greek or whatever. Uh, I think that's a sad mischaricature or no i guess that's a sad caricature of um what we're appreciating in reference to our historic classical Mm -hmm. uh systematic theological doctrine as we've said that the doctrine of the holy trinity uh it is the crowning doctrine of our christian faith Mm -hmm. and life everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everything hinges on it Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of christian uh, belief right Um, right so uh, our fifth statement, this gets us halfway through the uh, abstract and the, the overview of the main points that the, the uh, position paper and our subsequent con- conversations will be about. Uh, the fifth point is the divine decrees of creation, providence, predestination, and election issuing from the inter-Trinitarian Council superintend the compact of salvation, the uh, pactum salutis, for the outworking of the council of peace, what the inner Trinitarian council freely wills, decrees, the economic trinity's works unanimously fulfill covenants. Hmm. So um, that's a that's a good sort of capstone to, to everything that we've talked about so far. Um, you know, bringing up once again. The, the familiar categories, at least in in in, uh, in our tradition, of the divine decrees: creation, providence, predestination, election. Um, you you bring in this word superintend the compact of salvation for working out the council of peace. So there's there is quite a bit there, I think, to try to un- unpack a little bit. So um, you've brought in this idea of council of peace. You've connected that with the decrees, and then, um, and then, uh, sort of tied them together with uh, compact and superintend. Um, so, what are you getting at there? How are you? How are you working towards sort of uh, 
bringing all of these things in, into connection with each other? Well, first, I think it's important to preserve the Inter-Trinitarian Council and the integrity of the doctrine of the Trinity. And so we talk about the Inter-Trinitarian Council uh, being that agreement between the three divine persons to outwork and to act in a way of the decree. And, and actually, um, Voss has a helpful um, explanation here that we'll get to in the details when he talks about that the decree, for example, and providence are not synonymous, mm. but they are inseparable. Mm. So you have God's decree, and then you have that decree being realized through providence, mm -hmm. creation or providence, and, and we could you know apply that to each one. Mm -hmm. And so the intent here is that we don't back in unintentionally, we don't back into the uh, tree or, or back into the garage wall here and 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 put push covenant back into the divine decree as i said uh covenant mm -hmm. is not a decree of god but covenant mm -hmm. is a means of god's working out mm -hmm. his decree yeah uh through the persons of the holy trinity and that are not redundant <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and so um what what i'm going to be arguing and and really wanting to develop is that we have a biblical category that is in between the Inter-Trinitarian Council decree and the Compact of Salvation, the Pactum Salutis, or the Covenant of Redemption. Yeah, yeah. and that that intermediary <laughs> uh, link is the Council of Peace. Yeah, and so as we go further and further along, that's going to be the laser-focused mm -hmm. point <laughs> mm -hmm. that this whole discussion will be coming to, and that yeah. is we have a biblically identified category for us that is rich in its application for our understanding of God's covenantal purpose. The covenantal purpose being the realization of God's eternal uh, mm -hmm. uh, inter-Trinitarian equal resolve. Mm -hmm. And that is the Council of Peace. Right. The Council right. of Peace is not a covenant. Council and covenant okay. are not synonymous. Yeah. And Council of Peace is biblically identified for us, and it it, it um, connects to a huge theme. Let me just mention Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. Let me just mention a priest king greater than Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Let me just mention uh, the um, peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Let mm -hmm. me just mention that we are ministers of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. Mm -hmm. That ought to be enough to get our attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. So, so that's the, um, that's where we come I think down this to the middle. Kinda... <laughs> to the middle here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. As was, I was going to say, it was was this kind of brings us back or brings us into sharper focus on on uh, sort of what are the details of of what you're doing here really are, which is um, I think from what I can tell, trying to distinguish some of the terminology, particularly covenant of redemption and council of peace. Um, trying to say that these are actually, you know, two, two, these are, these, these are helpful categories, but we shouldn't conflate these two things, exactly. covenant of redemption, council of peace. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that we do conflate them, we do kind of see them as synonymous terms then we're actually kneecapping ourselves or we could be kneecapping ourselves from using um, 
a very helpful biblical way of tying in God's ad intra, um, you know, God's work and, or not his work, but, but his, who he is in himself, his purpose, Um, his purpose, Mm -hmm. his decrees, tying that into the working out of those decrees. Mm -hmm. We have actually a really helpful biblical way where we can, we can bridge Mm -hmm. the seeming gap there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and covenant is not that way. <laughs> no, but but yeah. the council of peace is a is perhaps a more biblical way of understanding that. And I think um, to the extent that what you're saying is to the extent we we conflate these two terms, then then we really don't have a way. We might not have a good biblical way of, well, we bring of understanding up a, that a, connection. A real conflict. What what ends up, and that's what this dispute historically has been about. Yeah. And that is how do we maintain a pretemporal uh, purpose and work of God in connection with covenant without backing covenant, ultimately subordination into mm-hmm. the essence, the, the uh, purpose, the decree of the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a big, that's a big uh, issue to want to uh, tackle. Def- defend, tackle, defend, yeah. and correct. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, and it's not an easy one. And I think it it it's, uh, hopefully is clear um, that it it requires this kind of um, sort of breaking down of of the terms and understanding the biblical data and even understanding some of the historical formulations and where we can clarify. And I think that last statement does a good job of basically laying out the terms of the discussion. Um, and so, you know, we're bringing all this stuff sort of here to a point to, to, to have to say, um, that these are all the kinds of conversations and terms we're going to have to talk about the mm-hmm. decrees, uh, the, um, the intra-trinitarian, intra-trinitarian council, easy for me to say, um, <laughs> compact of salvation, um, council of peace. These are all things we're going to unpack and try to give some clarity to and 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 formulate perhaps in a way that's not novel, but just kind of is is developing hopefully further along in, in the whole conversation that really has been going on for quite some time. I like to talk about refinement. Yeah. Uh, I, for a long time uh, in 40 years of pastoral ministry, uh, determined I would not preach controversies. I was going to preach the Holy Scriptures. Now there are some controversies in Scripture, uh, and you know we meet those things head on. But uh, this approach to the study of covenant theology and the Holy Trinity is not rooted in controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the attempt, as I said, is not to uh, make accusations or to try to defame or that kind of thing. It, it's really driven by a desire for clarity and for refinement. Uh, as we go along, we'll talk about the fact that some of this terminology and some of these developments and some of the various schema um, have been offered and refined along the way. Mm-hmm. And some of it helpful and maybe some of it, you know, not as helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really my disposition Yeah, is wanting to refine and clarify. Yeah. Um, yeah, I almost hesitate to use the term reformulation, but that's really, right. you know, yeah. that, that really is what it comes down to, wanting to kind of reformulate. Mm. Um, and and I am puzzled, I'll be honest with you. I am puzzled why uh, the covenant or the, the Council of Peace has seemingly been overlooked. I mean, mm. that's one of the proof texts historically, but yes. it isn't elaborated on a great deal. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and, and, and then there seems to be, as you said, this problem of conflating some of these terminology. Well, Council of mm-hmm. Peace and uh, Covenant of Redemption are yeah, really the same thing, or the Pactum Salutis. They're all just sort of synonymous. And I don't think that is right. adequate. I don't think it's accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, th- I think that's a valid point. I think, like you said, when I've when I've come into um, uh, discussions of the Council of Peace, it is it is always in in this development of the Covenant of Redemption. And um, I guess I've never connected the dots before because I really wasn't looking for sure. it. Um, but uh, but that that does seem to be the case that um, well one it, it's it's a very popular proof text <laughs> if mm-hmm. you want to put it like that sure um, no, it's, for, you're right you know for the covenant of redemption it's one of the go tos mm-hmm. um, I I would say though without that proof text um, you 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 can develop a doctrine of the covenant of redemption a doctrine of the covenant I, I would say very similar to the way you can develop a doctrine of the covenant of works with Adam before the fall. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say it's not essential. Um, and and I think others would agree uh, with that as well. And because it's not an essential proof text to something like the covenant of redemption, um, that that to me opens the door to, 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 to ask, well, maybe actually the, the, the council of peace, um, uh, we can it's understand something else. it. Yeah, maybe it's something underst- else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we we can understand it a bit differently than we than than our formulation, right. our systematic formulation mm-hmm. of the covenant of redemption. I think that's an important thing to 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 keep recognizing as well. The the formulation, the doctrinal formulation of the covenant of redemption is a systematic category. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that that doesn't mean it's deficient in any way. I don't I don't see systematics in that light. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just means that that's that's the pr- approach you take to something like um, the covenant of redemption. By by the way, the Trinity is also a systematic category, um, mm-hmm. and yet it's one of the yeah, essential essential right. doctrines of our mm-hmm. of our of our faith. Um, mm-hmm. So all that's to say is I think I think we're on safe ground um, to to refine this. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me, um, and I'm looking forward to digging in to all the data and, 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 and digging into scripture particularly to try to um, to try to bring this into high relief as mm-hmm. we do so. Yeah, it's a rich study. And um, I think because it is motivated by genuineness to have a, a clarity and a biblically founded and thoroughly nuanced uh, understanding of God's covenantal condescension out mm-hmm. of love and uh, his his richness of his goodness, mm-hmm. um, and as it event as it essentially deals with creation and salvation, <laughs> you know, creation and mm-hmm. redemption, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. you really can't overstate how important it is. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I mean, I keep coming back to this. Jesus said, "This is the new covenant in my blood." Mm-hmm. I, you, how can you overstate that? Right. Yeah. Yeah the the height of his earthly ministry <laughs> right um, and and yeah. his eternal accomplishment mm-hmm. and our hope <laughs> exactly yeah yeah well this has been a good discussion and of course we have part two to come where we're gonna um look at the rest of these statements to to uh, round out the abstract of your position paper i will go ahead and post um this on our website and i'll include a link in our show notes uh for that to be 
um, accessible as well. And uh, we'll make sure to um, to finish up this conversation so that we're we're ready to dive in to the meat of your paper. <laughs> yeah, part two is to come. And uh, hopefully, yeah. as I was saying to you, I think there are some attention-getting statements here. Maybe, hopefully, some firecrackers going off. Uh, firecrackers <laughs> of celebration. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. So not okay. not the uh, not not bombs. Yeah, not bombs. Over, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good. It was a good conversation. And um, Dad, unless you have any closing comments, um, then I think it's time for us to uh, to sign off and and. Um, and say that it was an enjoyable conversation and we'll look forward to next time. Yeah. I look forward to following up and uh, getting more into this and really appreciate your uh, involvement with this steward. I appreciate all the technical work you do, mm-hmm. but mostly uh, just the good conversation that we enjoy to, to uh, deepen one another's faith, mm-hmm. faith calling deep calling to deep and iron sharpening iron. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It definitely is uh, um, enriching. Uh, and of course, some of these uh, some of these conversations happen off um, off mic, off air, you know. So um, there's a lot that goes on. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, in, in between these episodes where we're hashing things out and and, yeah. uh, and have these conversations, but it's like my friend Lamar. Uh, you you grew up uh, working in Lamar's wood shop, mm-hmm. and Lamar told me he was at a wood show one time, and a guy was turning these bowls that have wormholes and so forth in them, and Lamar said to him. Uh, well, you know, when I turn those things, they always crack and break. And the fellow said, well, I don't bring those to the show. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the ones that make it. Yeah. You know, the ones that break and are torn up. We, we just leave those <laughs> back in the shop. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Well, um, we will, uh, we'll talk with you next time then, Dad. It's been a okay. good conversation. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye.